Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called The Church. It's an important series, so listen up. Let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, 24 to 25, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, God Has Always Had a People. Hebrews 11. It's quite a chapter in the Bible. You know, many call it the Hall of Fame. It's reserved for some of the great heroes of the faith. Indeed, after considering everyone from Abel to Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and who through faith were stoned and killed with the sword, the very next chapter starts with these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is to say, from the heroes mentioned in Hebrews 11, we've been given examples of people to emulate. A great cloud, a great company of men and women have gone before us, and their lives teach us what it means to be faithful to God, what it means to overcome this world, what it means to live life well, to the glory of God, and for our eternal good. Look at their lives, examine how they lived, and what was the result of their lives. And then if you must, look at the lives of men and women who have not lived in faith and contrast the outcome of two very different ways of living. Let me for just a moment concentrate on one of those great heroes of the faith, Moses. I'm reading Hebrews 11, 24 to 25. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You know, there's a little piece in that sentence, and I think it gets overlooked. You know, Moses, we're told, chose to be mistreated with the people of God. That is, he did have a choice to be made. He could have carried on with the life into which he had been adopted. The royal family, the ruling class of Egypt had taken him in. You know, all that we know of the 18th dynasty is that it was a time when the kings of Egypt were eventually buried in the Valley of the Kings and from King Tut's tomb the only one that wasn't pillaged by grave robbers, we know something of the extravagant and lavish wealth that the royalty enjoyed. The privilege was immense. You know, for the person who lacks faith, the choice seems obvious. You know, the first rule when riding a winning horse, it's this, don't get off. Moses did. He got off. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God, the slaves of Egypt. But the slaves of Egypt had Abraham as their forefather. And with Abraham comes the covenant of God. I'll make you a great nation. All the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And that's why it's a story of faith. You know, the person lacking faith is the person who goes by what he or she sees. You can hear about the covenant the one true God made with Abraham, but you can't see it. What you could see was the amazing wealth of the Egyptian nobility. Moses went with what one could only see by faith. And as they say, the rest is history. That nobility, the kings of Egypt, were buried in their tombs with opulent wealth. Wealth they thought they could take with them into the next life. But it turns out they were wrong. They never took the wealth with them. That wealth was stolen by grave robbers. You know, they had no future. But from Abraham's seed came the Christ, the promised Savior. And the Savior would rise from the dead while the pharaohs would not. And it was the Savior who would offer eternal life to the people of God. So it turns out Moses chose well when he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. 
Now, all that's true. And it's suggested by the passage I've just read. But for my purposes today, I want us to focus less on the choice that Moses made. Rather, I want us to focus on what it was that Moses chose. See, our text in Hebrews that wants to hold up the examples of the people of faith says that Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God. So stop there and make this into a contemporary question. You know, in our day, when more and more individuals have concluded you can be a Christian and you can reject the church, when they conclude that it really is possible to emulate the heroes of the faith without joining themselves to the people of God. See, in the minds of many contemporaries, you can have a life of faith as an individual journey and not necessarily be a communal journey. After all, isn't faith the result of a personal choice? So they think. Now, I make mention of that because as I speak these words, the reality of this is becoming all the more apparent. And this is true. I mean, let's face it, for some very understandable reasons. Many feel a deep sense of disappointment with the church. I mean, some reasons, you know, are the harm that they've experienced in the church on biblical actions that created wounds so much so that some conclude that they simply don't want to go back. And then there are other reasons. You know, the sea change in thinking in the Western world is both profound and breathtaking. You know, on the leading edge is the change in thinking about sex and human sexuality and the biblical mandate that sex outside of heterosexual marriage is a sin against the God who created our sexuality and who created marriage, well, that idea is simply rejected by many. The demand that the church change is now profound. But interestingly enough, the churches that have changed, that is, the liberal churches, have seen their attendance decline so rapidly, it's breathtaking. And so to adapt the new sexual reality, that is the death of the church. And yet those who refuse to adapt are also under great pressure. So that identifying with the, you know, abused people of God, you know, makes the the words of Hebrew sound so, you know, contemporary today. But that's not the only reason that more and more people leave the church. Amazingly, and as I say these words, we have gone through a global pandemic that has created fissures in the church. Great fault lines have opened up as people see those whom they once thought of as their brothers and sisters now alienated over, depending how you see it, you know, as a health mandate or as a global conspiracy to limit one's freedom. And after a period of time when Christian services were offered online and a great many people came to an amazing conclusion. Conclusion? I don't need church, they say. Now, why put up with the politics and the bad decisions that leaders have made and with the inconvenience of breaking up my weekend. Let's get back to the choice that Moses made, shall we? He chose, says the writer of Hebrews, to be a part of the people of God. And why? I mean, why couldn't Moses have simply chosen to believe in the God of Abraham, even while he carried on as a member of the Egyptian royal household? Why not even talk to members of the household of Egypt about faith in Abraham's God? And why not just stay away from that cantankerous and unruly people called Israel? I mean, what's wrong with an individual choice to follow Abraham's God rather than belonging to the people of God? And I say this as a contemporary question, but that shouldn't make us believe it's only a contemporary question. So let's leave Moses for a moment and consider someone else, and her name is Ruth. She's a Moabite woman who happened to marry an Israelite man, and they live in Moab. 
and her Hebrew husband dies. And then her Israelite mother-in-law makes plans to go back home to Israel. And Ruth decides she will go with her mother-in-law, a woman named Naomi. But Naomi knows it's going to be hard for Ruth. You know, in Moab, Ruth has family. And in Moab, the chance is there that she might marry again and have children and be taken care of. If Ruth goes to Israel with Naomi, she faces the very real possibility of both poverty and never being fully accepted by the people of Israel. And so Naomi, out of love for her daughter-in-law, tells her to go back to her people and to go back to her previous gods. And then comes one of the most famous statements of all of history, the speech of Ruth, Ruth 1.16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. See, did you notice? It wasn't just that Ruth had abandoned the gods of Moab. Ruth thought that if you abandon the gods of Moab and cling to the God of Abraham, you must then also Cling to the people of the God of Abraham. Your people shall be my people, which is to say, your God is my God. You know, God has always had a people. Yeah, it's true. The people of God, as in the case of ancient Israel, were not ideal. There were sometimes a people that would flirt with idolatry. You know, the sins of Israel, they're well chronicled in the Bible. And yet Moses and Ruth thought that one couldn't just follow the true God and not at the same time identify with the people of God. See, you can't separate it out. You can't follow the one true God without identifying with the people whom God has chosen for himself. I haven't yet made the argument as to how the church inherited the great promises of Israel. I'll leave that to later. But for now, this is a call. For those who have departed from the church, would you reconsider? with all her faults and failures, all her sins and disappointments, with all her poor sermons and badly designed singing, with everything from boring services to sinful people making sinful decisions, God has always had a people. Moses knew that, Ruth knew that, and so did Paul when he wrote the two letters to the Corinthians. Yeah, they were a problem church, yet God has always had a people. Last month, Back to the Bible Canada shared the exciting news that our young adult ministry in doubt has welcomed Andrew Marcus as its new host and director. After much prayer and planning, in doubt is ready to relaunch this month with exciting new programming. In addition to our regular weekly radio program and podcast, you can now access on YouTube and indoubt.ca the In Doubt Show. New episodes will be posted every Monday featuring guests well-equipped to speak into the challenges of faith, life, and culture that so many young adults are facing today. Humor, fun, but most importantly, a source of biblical truth for those in doubt. Be sure to check out our In Doubt YouTube channel or podcast and share the word with other young adults in your lives. Stay tuned for more exciting news in the weeks ahead. And for more information or to support this important ministry, visit indoubt.ca. It is possible to take objection to what I've said, and as I see it, the objection could sound something like this. There's a world of difference between Israel as a nation and my local church. See, to the most part, 
Israel is made up of the physical descendants of Abraham, and the local church is different. I mean, for one, it's not a nation, and second, the life of the church, well, it's about worship and preaching and singing and fellowship and so forth, whereas Israel, that was a part of your culture. Um, People joined a local church, but most of the people of Israel were simply born into their culture. But I think my point still stands. It is true that the vast majority of Israel were born into that community, but it's also true that not all of them were. So let's get back to Moses. Remember, he chooses to identify with the mistreated people of God. But Moses wasn't the only person in his generation to have done that. I mean, one of the clues to that is found, you know, in the biblical description to the actual exodus from Egypt. Exodus 12, verse 38. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Now that phrase, a mixed multitude, has been the subject of some discussion. The phrase clearly means that a great many people who are not physical descendants of Israel decided they would join themselves to Israel when the exodus happened. So who were they? Well, some think that they were Egyptians who saw the plagues that befell their nation and then concluded that the gods of Egypt were a sham and that the one God of Abraham was God alone. And because of that conversion in their thinking, they just like Moses chose to go into the desert with the people of God and journey to the land that God had promised Abraham along with the people of God. See, I need to hasten to add, you know, some writers disagree with that. I mean, they think the mixed multitude must refer to the other people groups who lived in Egypt, but were also mistreated by the Egyptians. Of course, I don't know. I mean, I strongly suspect both theories are true. A mixed multitude must refer to people of a variety of nationalities, and it had to include Egyptians as well. And whoever they were, the thought of following God and joining themselves to the people of God, those two things were thought of as being inextricably joined together. But let's talk about the church and and ask ourselves how that relates. And the problem with the experience of many in terms of the local church is because if we can just all be honest about it, is that the local church just feels different. I mean, for one, many attend a local church, but they're not part of that local church. That is, they attend Sunday morning service. It takes about an hour and a quarter. They drive in. If they have kids, the kids go to kids' church while they attend adult church. It's over in an hour and a quarter. They go home. That is, the church is not where their friends are. Those are in other places. The church doesn't consume their activities, nor do they think of it as their culture. Instead, the church is an activity and not an identity. And I don't mean to place the blame on attenders. I mean, after I completed my 35 years of pastoral ministry, and after I joined back to the Bible, you know, Kathy and I set out to find the next chapter in our lives, re-belonging to the local church. Now, two of the churches we attended had no active place of involvement for us. And I know, we looked. All ministry positions were taken. We tried to connect. We couldn't. We wondered if we could simply attend, but that seemed so hollow to us. We really struggled for a time. I began to see how others felt. They were on the outside, not because that's what they had chosen. No, no. It was because there was no means provided. There was no clearly marked pathway as to how to enter into the center of belonging and of friendship and of meaningful participation in ministry. And many feel that way. And so for years, you know, they labor on the periphery. And when a crisis happens, they simply drift away. 
And as they do, no one calls, no one asks about them, no one seems to care. They're just simply gone. You know, my own experience, I said for a while, I mean, the only reason I'm going is because I'm a Christian. That's it. Now, let's get back to the common experience that we all have. But as we do, let's also remember what the Scripture teaches about God always having a people. I want us to go to the New Testament and talk about that transition from Israel to the church as the people of God. And the passage I've chosen is a passage from Ephesians in which Paul is addressing the Gentile converts to Christ. So let's listen to the text, Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love that language. Once the Gentiles were not the people of God, they were, listen to this, separated, they were aliens, they were strangers. And then, says Paul, something happened. They came to Christ, and like Moses, they chose to identify with the people of God. And now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, once separated, now joined, once aliens, now citizens, once strangers, now friends. That at least is the theory according to the New Testament. That's the definition of church. So let's go forward, same chapter, verses 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You see, says Paul, now that you've attached yourselves to the people of God, your alienation is gone. Indeed, you're never going to be a stranger again. And then later in the same text, he explains that we've become, you know, bricks in the building of God, the temple of God, all built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and of course, Jesus as the cornerstone. Allow me a brief theological rabbit trail. The wonderful things about these texts is that the church fulfills the longings of Israel. Indeed, the church embodies what Israel never became. Israel was a nation made up of people faithful to their God and people who had no interest in their God. And as Ezekiel would say, Israel would become a rebellious house. Church is different. Church is the community of Jesus. We're the true people of God. We all, that is, all who are members of the body of Christ, are built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We're built by the faithful revelation of God in Christ Jesus, made to be the true believing and faithful people of God. No longer a community made up of faithful and unfaithful, rather the faithful followers of Jesus. And another aside, you know, someone listening might ask if there's still a unique role for Israel. And I know that question is always weighted. It often results in controversy. There are those who will refer to Galatians 6.16, which Paul refers to the church as the Israel of God. You know, in that way, all the promises made to Israel are fulfilled in the church. And furthermore, 1 Peter 1 verse 1 calls his hearers, made up of both Jews and Gentiles, the church, he calls them exiles of the dispersion. And that's very interesting language. That's the language previously used of Israel. 
the Jews living in various countries. They were the dispersion, dispersed Jews. But Peter uses that very language speaking of the church, dispersed in various countries as we await our heavenly home, the world that our Savior has reserved for us. Indeed, Peter becomes even more clear in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's marvelous. All the language of Israel, language that was never fulfilled, has now come into being in the church of Jesus. The church is a chosen race. We're a holy nation, so forth. That is, the God who has always had a people has now brought the promises of that people into being through the church. And one more side note. All that, in my opinion, doesn't mean that, you know, God doesn't have a unique role for Israel yet to play. And I think that's going to come about in the millennium. And I believe that God will have something special for the physical descendants of Abraham. But I leave that question for another time. But for now, any reading of the Bible should leave us with two conclusions. One is that God has always had a people. And two, the church is the fulfillment of all of the promises of God for that people. But that brings us back to the question of how so many people, some who were once at the center of a local church, now no longer come, and no one even bothered to chase them down. And they then conclude they just don't need the church. And if that's you, I urge you to listen for these next two weeks. Just listen. I don't want to make you think that I can make all your disappointments and hurts just magically go away. I can't do that. But I can get you to believe that God has always had a people and you're called to be among the people of God. Thanks for your message, John, and we look forward to a great series. Let me ask you, how is our salvation and the church, how, how is it linked together? Well, I mean, we want to say that God uh, saved us unto himself and saved us into the community of his people. Uh, so if, um, you know, if in some fashion we say, I don't want to be saved into the community of God's people, I mean, we are saying something to God, aren't we not? Uh, so I think we have to, you know, come back to this understanding that we have God as our father and we have the church as our brothers and sisters, and that's the wholeness of our salvation. Embrace that. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Church, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada is committed to partnership in the work of the gospel. No single individual congregation or mission is enough to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus gathered followers to train and commission. Paul ventured throughout the Mediterranean with the news of Jesus Christ, but he didn't travel alone. He cultivated partnerships to do the great work. This month, we offer a resource called Companions for the Gospel. This laminated reference guide maps out Paul's missionary journey in Acts and highlights the men and women who work together with Paul in mission. Companions for the Gospel is our free Bible resource gift to you this month. Simply call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your copy or to make a gift to the national or global efforts 
of Back to the Bible Canada.